0: That's the thing with codependence. We feel this compulsion to get in between other people and the consequences of their behavior. And when we can't because we're not God, we get resentful of them and we make them be the entire problem, even though we've been enabling them all along. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-Step Recovery Fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-Step Fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. This is episode 175. Dan made me feel like a criminal when I filmed him drunk. I was reminded recently of a situation I was involved in when I was at the height of my codependence, or maybe you could say the bottom of my codependence, and I want to share it. For those of you who don't know the story, the thing that got me into recovery was I hit a codependent bottom when I invited my homeless friend Dan, who I met through church, to come stay at my home one night during a snowstorm. He accepted my invitation, of course, and then he stayed another time and then another time. And then four months later, he was practically living in my home. He was an addict and an alcoholic and possibly a narcissist, or maybe he had borderline personality disorder, whatever he had going on. He seriously fucked with my head. He made me question my own reality, question my motives, all kinds of things. And it was really, really painful. There was this one time he was super fucking high on this stuff that was going around at the time. It was called K2. People would smoke it and it was almost like PCP in its effects and that people would have super unpredictable behavior and be like really out there while they were high on it. So Dan was really, really high on this K2 and he was like stumbling around my apartment and just fucking wreaking havoc on the place. And I was really scared. I had no idea what to do and I took out my phone to video record him with the idea that if I showed it to him when he was straight, he would see it, see the error of his ways and stop getting high. This is called manipulation. I know that now. I didn't know any better back then, obviously. I invited a homeless person to stay in my home. But what happened when he was straight, and I showed in the video, is he lost his shit. He said, that's exactly the kind of thing my father did to me. By then, I knew how much he hated his father. He pretty much demonized his father, mainly because he wouldn't put up with Dan's shit. When Dan's mother was alive, she'd allow him to sneak into the family home to get food and sleep sometimes. But his father was the one who kicked him out because of all of his shenanigans, which I was starting to see more and more of as time went on. Anyway, when I showed him the video, he turned me into the villain. He acted like I was a criminal because I recorded his escapades, which of course took the focus off of his behavior and put it on me. He put the blame on me as if I was the one who had done something wrong. Meanwhile, this mofo was in my house wrecking the place, acting a fool, high as all ghetto. I almost said taking advantage of me. Oops, he wasn't taking advantage of me. I opened my home to him. I invited him in. I cooked for him. I did laundry for him. I drove him places. I bought him cigarettes. I did all kinds of things to enable him to not suffer the consequences of his homelessness, and to not suffer the consequences of his behavior while high. He was not taking advantage of me. I offered all those things to him. And then I got resentful of him when it became too much because I was super codependent. And that's how that works. I didn't have any boundaries. I had a victim mentality thinking he was doing these things to me. When I invited him in, gave him all kinds of stuff. And I can see now what I couldn't see then, which was that I believed, at least subconsciously, that I could somehow save him. That if I just provided him with enough stuff and care and attention, he might turn things around. What's interesting about that is, he and I had a conversation one time where I was saying to him about how hard he had it being homeless. And he was like, are you fucking kidding me? He said, you've got it so much harder than I do. And I was like, what are you talking about? Now, keep in mind, I met him in the winter in Connecticut. It was one of those really cold and snowy winters that year. And he was a homeless person in the winter And he's thinking, my life was harder. Me, who has a career, own a condo and that I was renting out at the time I lived in an apartment, you know, with heat and hot water and clothes and blankets and other material items. I have a car, a job, a retirement plan and all that stuff. And he had the clothes on his back. And that was it. He said, your life is much harder than mine. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he said, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't have to do anything. And at the time, I was completely baffled by that. I still don't know that I fully comprehend why that was easier for him to live the life of a homeless person where he was disconnected from most people in society and physically cold and often in pain and hungry, constantly scrounging for money, food, cigarettes, drugs, alcohol, regularly getting publicly shamed and humiliated for begging money. That just sounds like a fucking horrendous life to me. Yet he truly believed my life was harder. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing that he was just not equipped to handle adult life. I remember him telling me one time that he had a therapist that pointed out to him that his mother was perhaps enabling his drinking and drugging so that he would continue to need her. He was the youngest of four children, and she had that empty nest syndrome when all the kids left the coop. When his therapist first told him that, he was really pissed and upset about it, But he said that the more he thought about it, the more he realized it was probably true and that it broke his heart because he absolutely adored and worshipped his mother. He thought she was an absolute angel on the earth, and he'd been absolutely devastated when she died. So clearly, he did not have the skills to manage life, and it sounds like his mother may have at least subconsciously Kept him needing her, kept him from not taking responsibility for himself, which meant he did not know how to take responsibility for his own life. And that's probably why he thought I had it way harder than he did, because the idea of responsibility scared the shit out of him. My guess is that he also didn't think he deserved much better than what he had. All right, so back to my story about hitting my codependent bottom. I just didn't know how to make it stop. He would do things like this K2 episode where I recorded him and lay these super fucking healthy, healthy, no, super fucking heavy guilt trips on me and make me question what was wrong with me that I would even think of recording him. Now I can see that what was wrong with that wasn't that I recorded him what was wrong was that I somehow thought that him seeing what he was like while high would be enough to get him to stop getting high, as if I could do something to intervene between this person and his addiction. And that's the thing with codependence. We feel this compulsion to get in between other people and the consequences of their behavior. And when we can't because we're not God, We get resentful of them, and we make them be the entire problem, even though we've been enabling them all along. What I'm realizing as I'm saying this right now is he was blaming me for being the problem because I recorded him, and yet I was blaming him for being who he was from the day I met him but I was also taking the blame, feeling responsible for getting him to stop drinking and drugging. Eventually, it just got to be so damn painful that it became intolerable for me. It became clear to me I have to get him out of my house. Eventually, my sanity and my safety took precedence over trying to save this person who I really only knew for like four or five months. The entire time I knew him. That's how much time went by. But I acted like I fucking gave birth to him and it was my destiny to save him from himself. What I've learned in recovery that helped me with this is that I really, really got we cannot change other people. It doesn't matter how much we love them, how much we give to them, how much we bend over backwards, or if we slit our wrists and bleed for them. We can't change other people. And we especially cannot change other people who are addicts. The only thing more powerful than addiction is God. And the thing about God is the person who's the addict has to actually seek God and welcome God's guidance in order for God to interfere with the addiction. God can't interfere without that person's willingness because of that whole free will thing. So if God is the only thing more powerful than addiction, but only if God is invited in, then you are not gonna get this person to quit by anything you do. Now, there are some things you can do to make it more difficult for them, and they essentially boil down to you centering yourself in your own life instead of centering the other person in your life. I have an episode that's really excellent about that. It's number 140 with my guest, Jane Mackey. It's called Loving Someone Through Addiction. I'll put the link in the show notes. Jane talks about the CRAFT method, which stands for Community Reinforcement and Family Training, which teaches you things you can do to lessen the likelihood of them using. In other words, you can stop enabling them. And speaking of that, I have a couple of other episodes that should help in this regard. One is episode 68, how to stop enabling other people's dysfunctional behavior, and 73, understanding natural consequences. That is, when you stop enabling, you can create conditions whereby you are not making it easier for them to use. You are not making it more pleasant for them to use. You're making it more difficult and less pleasant. But the main way you do that is you center yourself in your own life. You stop making them be the center of your attention. You stop centering the person you're enabling, the, either the narcissist or the addict or whoever the person is, and you put yourself at the center of your own life. In other words, you learn to keep the focus on yourself. And guess what? I have an episode on that too. It's episode 10 about how to keep the focus on me, and I will also link that in the show notes. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do, instead of always following other people's agendas, I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're gonna love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higherpowercoaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram, I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there, I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.